You're listening to Halford and Bruff. In life, you have a chance you could be an eagle or duck. He was an eagle there. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. This is Alfred. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet. What are you waiting for? Kintech! If you're watching on the stream, you can do so at Sportsnet Plus, by the oh, way. Wow. It's a yeah. very uh, it's a very green day in studio today. Both mm. both Bruff like and the I the band. Are, well, yeah, follow is it up. St. Patrick's Day? Uh oh. it is not. It is February the sixth. Yeah. Synonymous with green. This is the most green we've ever worn. This happens enough now that I think you guys do coordinate before. Mm. We try not to talk when green we're off tops air. and black hats. <laughs> hey. All right. Look at sharp, boys. Again, check us out on Sportsnet Plus. You can watch the stream for three hours today. Uh, we got a big show. Today Six. on the show, Seamus O'Reilly. <laughs> Can't get in trouble for making fun of the Irish. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us on the program. 7 o'clock, Don Waddell is going to join us. The general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes is going to join us ahead of tonight's game. It is the Canucks and Canes, 4 o'clock from Carolina. 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor is going to join us. He'll be on the call for the aforementioned game. A reminder, pre, post, and the actual game, all right here on Sportsnet 650. Also, uh, start getting your What We Learns in right now. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Uh, get your What We Learns in because we are... Want me to do the one, two, three again? We are giving away one set of two tickets to a three-day tournament. It's the Rugby Sevens. Uh, the entire tournament pass, February 23rd to 25th, every day this week, we are giving away a pair of tickets to go see the Rugby Sevens. Uh, if you want to win them, you got to get your What We Learns in. Hashtag it WWL. Uh, what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports, let us know. Text it into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We'll read them throughout the show, and we will give away the tickets uh, in the final segment of the show. Working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, it's Brendan Batchelor. 7 o'clock, Don Waddell, 6.30. Greg Wyshynski, that is what's happening on the program today. Laddie, tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. The Canucks, having now been in Carolina for a couple days, practiced yet again in Raleigh yesterday. Uh, The lines went unchanged from what we saw on Monday, so Elias Lindholm remains a winger alongside Elias Pettersson and Ilya Mikheyev. 
Uh, Lindholm is also on power play one, shifting, or not shifting, I suppose that keeps Pius Suter on the power play, albeit on power play two. And the big news, maybe, is welcome to the microscope, Ilya Mikheyev. Yeah, um, I guess, uh, did we start that? When we asked Rick Taka when he was on our show, do you need to see more out of Mikheyev? We didn't start any. I, I would like to think that our listeners started that because our listeners have really started to text in to the Dunbar Lumber text line about Mikheyev and how they need to see more out of him. Um, and Taka agrees. And he said, when you play with top players, you got to come up with loose pucks. You've got to go to the net. You got to go through the middle. You've got to chase pucks down. And you've got to be good wall guys. That's what we're looking for, which is similar to what he was saying about Kuzmenko. And, you know, one of the reasons why who plays with Petey has been such a topic of discussion and such, um, not just on our show, but clearly in the Canucks front office as well and with the coaching staff because they went out and got a guy that they hope meshes well with Petey and uh, Elias Lindholm. And now they're hoping that, I don't know, they don't have to go out and get another guy or they don't have to break up the Garland line because let's think about the options if Mikheyev doesn't give Tockett what he's looking for. Okay, number one is you keep looking for it and you keep keep hoping he finds it. Um, But I don't think Tockett's going to just keep doing that if Mikheyev isn't effective in his role um, and so the options are you break up the third line and you give Garland a shot or Dakota Joshua a shot um, Holglander I suppose you could give him a chance although you know the thing that you don't want to really do is rob Peter to pay Paul and the third and the fourth lines especially that third line in my opinion have been a huge reason for the Canucks' success. The Canucks have been looking for four solid lines for a long time now, a long, long time, and they finally got it, and look at the results. So you don't really want to mess with that. And the other option is to go out and trade for someone else, but it's going to be tough. You know, first of all, you're going to find the guy you got to identify the guy and pull off a trade. You got to give up assets. And then you're probably not able to do some other things. If you want to upgrade the defense, you might have to pick the forwards instead of upgrading the defense, even if it's adding depth to the defense. And here's another thing that I don't know has been discussed much because Menko was relatively easy to move. Relatively easy to move. I know, you know, Drance did a really good piece for The Athletic about um, kind of all the things that the Canucks had to do in order to get that deal done, Mm -hmm. including convincing Kuzmenko to waive his no-trade clause to go to Calgary. Um, But in terms of Kuzmenko's story, like the selling story behind trading Kuzmenko, here's a guy that had... Just scored 39 goals. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's a, that's a good story to tell. It was like, why? You nearly scored 40 goals, like, just last season. Um, and he only had one year left on his deal. Mikheyev, um, despite doing some good things last season on a torn ACL, still has that reputation of a guy who's coming off a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. 
And part of the reason he hasn't been that effective this season probably has to do with that recovery from an ACL injury. You know, there's a lot of people that take a while to come back. So a team, you could sell them a story and go, listen, once this guy's fully recovered, he'll be a good player. But other teams might be like, yeah, it's still a risk, though. And he's got two more years on his deal at a cap hit that was in the neighborhood of Kuzmenko's. Plus, he also has no trade protection. So it's, you know, if, you, if you're talking about moving out a guy like Mikheyev in a trade, I think it's going to be a... I think it's going to be tougher than it was with Kuzmenko. Yeah, and I mean, before we go too far down the road there. No, I, think I know. A, I just, I'm just i just going through all the options, yeah. right? Well, so part of the reason that we're leading with this today is that Sportsnet's very own Ian McIntyre has a very good piece up on Sportsnet.ca right now talking about Mikheyev and the top six forward group. Now, I think it's important to note a couple of things here. One, that top six group as comprised right now is loaded with talent. I mean, it's got four NHL all-stars in the top six. And the fifth guy is Pew Suter, who has been a terrific signing and well, well above value for what they signed him for, the production that he's given him, which then turns attention fairly or unfairly to McKayev. Now, I think part of that attention turned to him was unfair. I think there were some realistic expectations about what he could provide. And I think people that, especially the ones that were complaining into the Dunbar... Unrealistic expectations? I think... People had unrealistic expectations about Mikheyev. Okay. Right? I think realistic expectations were he's coming off a torn ACL. Mm -hmm. You're putting him uh, in a a pretty plum, pretty cherry gig playing alongside a guy like Pedersen. And I think the unrealistic expectations then came in. It's that, well, wait a minute. He's been foisted into a really at at times a top line winger role. He should produce like that. I never thought that he was possible that even at 100 percent health, I thought he would maybe max out as a 2025 goal guy. But yeah, he was always a bottom six guy in Toronto. Exactly, and that was when he was one younger mm-hmm. and two not coming off a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. Now pro- I think one of the problems is is that he's not even doing some of the things that he was signed to do. And I'm not even talking about like being a top six guy. Like he's not really part of the PK anymore. Um, So you're kind of like, it's like that line from office space. Like, what would you say you do here? Yeah. With the bobs. Yeah. Which I guess would be in this case, talk it and foot. But anyway, point, point being, (laughs) uh, McKayev has no goals and two assists. What would you say you do here? I can't believe we have it at the ready. Uh, he has no goals and two assists since the turn of the calendar, since January 2nd when they resume play after the Christmas break. Mm-hmm. So his production, while a lot of his other top six forwards <laughs> has been like off the charts, his production has been zero. Yeah, it just yeah. hasn't been there. So that draws people's attention. Now, I think the hope, the hope for the coaching staff and management is the old, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats that we get. Lindholm into the mix, and I think more importantly, you get Kuzmenko out of it, and suddenly that line becomes a lot more dynamic, and that in turn makes Mikheyev a little bit more effective. That being said, it's I mean that's it's not a shot across uh, the bow from Talkit here, but it's very clear what he needs specifically because he told IMAX specifically what he needs. From Mikheyev. Yeah, right? and he told us, yeah, we got to get Mikheyev going. And we've got one very angry text into the show early. It's only 6.12 in the morning, and yet 
There's some anger in the Dunbar Lumber text line that we're talking about this. Filing up the blood. Um, welcome to having a good team with expectations. For the people that think this is nitpicking or us trying to find controversy, this is what happened back in 2011. I remember a lot of talk about the second line needing to score more. You know, a lot of talk about Mason Raymond or, you know, Ryan Kessler needing to pass the puck a little bit more because you needed more production and they needed more production out of their bottom six. You know, like guys like Keith Ballard would get discussed a lot. And ultimately in the final, he wasn't able to play. So like this is what happens with a good team. And this is what we said would happen with a good team. We would joke like, hey, guys, like, you know, we want a good team here. And we would joke kind of not joking, but like you you can still nitpick and be critical of a good team because um, you can't have any passengers if you want to go win the Stanley Cup. Do you think the Canucks are? Do you think the Canucks think they have a chance at winning the Stanley Cup? Well, they've 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 acted like it, and they've certainly insinuated it. And you know, we're talking about a top six role here. This is a top line role, and you again, you can't have any passengers. Everyone's got to have a role that contributes. So while it may be unfair to put these expectations on McKeev given his injury history, they're still. That's the reality, right? Like, whether or not he's injured or not, we're not talking about whether or not it's fair. The Canucks need someone to do the things that Tockett wants a player on that line. It's a big responsibility to play with good players, mm-hmm. right? And and and, the, and I think that quote from Tockett says a lot, and I'll say it again. When you play with top players you got to do essentially a lot of the dirty work, and that is coming up with loose pucks, going to the net, chasing pucks down, and being good on the wall. Mm -hmm. Because the whole idea is you come up with loose pucks, and guess what you do? Give it to the top players so they can do what they do. Now, some of that has to be done by Pedersen, and some of it has to be done with Lindholm. You know, you think about Burroughs with the Sedins. The Sedins weren't just sitting there going... All right, Burgo, get us the puck, and we'll wait for you to do that. Right? Like they would go out and get it themselves just as much, but they also had a guy that would do that stuff. And now you're talking about a guy in Mikheyev who, even if he's hurt, if he can't do it, someone else has to do it. And if he can't do it, that's fine. We'll give him give him an excuse, but you need to talk about people that can. Because, again, the Canucks aren't just, you know, like just muddling around here. They have a goal. And that goal is to not only get in the playoffs, but go do something once they get there. And the competition is going to be real, real tough. By the way, segueing off into uh, a nice little feather in the cap for the Vancouver Canucks and a guy that might one day be in that forward group. Uh, kudos to Abbotsford Canucks forward Arshdeep Baines, who not only won the 2024 uh, AHL All-Star Game MVP yesterday, but also made it in to Laddie's intro, which is really the crowning achievement for any professional hockey player. Uh, Hopefully he makes it up to the big club and gets in more intros down the road. Yeah, like, what a you know, if you want to talk about a season that has just been filled with positive developments, right? So obviously at the NHL level, uh, it's been fantastic, right? 
The Canucks have been great. It's been one of the great stories in the league. They've got several individual players going for awards. The coach is probably going to be in line for coach of the year. The draftees, the eligible, the guy, the guys that have been drafted recently, you've got Lekker Mackey winning MVP at the World Juniors. Yeah. You've got Villander, and I don't know if you watched him yesterday. BU won their game in the semifinals at the Bean Pot. And Mac- he's been well. He's been he's been playing well. Macklin like Celebrini dropped a swear, and he was so fired up in his post game interview. Oh, really? He dropped a swear. It was pretty good, actually. Um, so you got that. So you've got the NHL team thriving. You've got the drafted players doing well on their respective levels, and now you've got uh, an American League feeder team where Archie Baines, who has been the team's best player this year, and they've had a few different candidates, but Baines has been great. So he's the team's representative at the All Star game. He goes to the All Star game. He actually had missed the skills competition because of travel issues. <laughs> Makes it a day later. Yeah, it was, get- that, it was that weather that canceled the, the final round of Pebble Beach. That's that stupid weather. It was screwing up everything. Archie <laughs> Baines could have been in the skills competition, but he couldn't go. Could have so gone and seen the final round of Pebble. <laughs> That's right. He gets into the All-Star game, leads the entire tournament in, in, with scoring with five points, two goals and three assists, and walks away with some hardware at the end of it. So I do wonder if he'll get the call. Now, the, the article that you were mentioning from Drance that he mm-hmm. wrote yesterday, that notebook that he put together, he did mention the fact that uh, they, they've they been doing the yo-yo thing with Linus Carlson, who's now back up, yeah. where he's gone up and down, up and down from Abbotsford. They haven't done it with Baines and Pod Colson because there seems to be an understanding that this might be more beneficial for them. Like, stay where you are. You're thriving. You're doing well. Pod Colson's been pretty good like lately. Like Hoaglander last season. Right. And look yeah. at Hoaglander this year. That wasn't the same article I was talking about, by the way. Drance wrote an article. He wrote two articles? <laughs> he wow. wrote an article. Good for him. And I think it might have been... Uh, co-written with someone else. I can't remember. Um, but remember when he said he was going out for breakfast with Jim Rutherford? Oh, I think, yeah. I think he got a lot of details about how the Lindholm trade went down. Yeah. And then he wrote up that article, and it was a real behind-the-scenes look about all the timing that... Um, the t- you know, There was a lot of balls in the air, basically. And there are, in, in, in any big trade... That's going to happen, and it talked about um, from the Calgary side as well. I think there was a Calgary reporter on it too that went back and f- that was talking about how Craig Conroy, you know, dealt with an aggressive Canucks team that really wanted Lindholm, mm-hmm. but still had to maximize the value for his player. Anyway, it's a good read if you've got an athletic subscription. Two good reads. I like the other one as well. Okay, so yeah, t- the other one was fine. <laughs> Tonight's opponent is the aforementioned Carolina Hurricanes. I'm actually pretty excited to talk to Don Waddell at 7 o'clock. Uh, I've got a couple questions about the massive contract extension that they gave Sebastian Ajo a year ago. You know the one where they didn't wait until the contract expired and the moment that they had an opportunity to sign him, even though he had a year left on his existing deal, they signed him. He I'm was not a pe- saying that no, it's no, a no. similar situation to anything we got here in Vancouver. But he was That's a pending UFA, wasn't he? I know. I'm yeah. not saying the situations are in any way similar. Yeah, well... Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it was more like a Nylander situation. Yes, it was. But um, yeah, I I do I do want to talk about um, Sebastian Ajo and what that process was like to get him signed. Um, well, I will. I just to I want to talk to him about the goaltending too. Yeah, because well, that's funny because I was going to tie that back into tonight. So, Antti Ranta, who's been he's got to be one of the streakier netminders currently employed in the National Hockey League. It seems like he's one of the guys that will go on an unbelievable heater and then will go on this long, cold stretch where it's like, we need to address our goaltending. He's been on a hot streak going into the deadline, or sorry, into the All-Star break, but Spencer Martin, former Vancouver Canuck, I do wonder 
if Rod Brindamore and company will give them the nod tonight. Now, I can't see it because they've been off for a long time and Ronta's been their number no one. Chance. No but chance. No chance. As a guy that likes to pull at the heartstrings, good old Spencer Martin. Remember when we thought he might be the guy? <laughs> Remember when he was getting wins? We weren't the ones who thought he'd be the guy. I think I said it out loud. I'm like, what's the number one I believe you called stat? him Spencer the answer. Yeah, Martin. that's yeah. right. <laughs> I was like, get them go out of here. Martin just wins games. Who cares that they're seven five and six five and whatever? Like he, he was on that streak where he eight seventy five. Oh, I remember so that. Your your bit about like the only thing I care about is wins. What's the number win. one goal? Wins games. And it would kill it would kill Laddie. Yeah, every time he just he's like games. he's the new Grant Fuhrer. Like he, he'll let in six, but he'll he's get a winner. that. Yeah, he's yeah. a winner. And then I'd ask him, I'm like, hey, what's the most important goalie stat again? And then it would be silence. Like, Laddie like, is shaking. Right, yeah. 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 W. Yeah, yeah. Laddie would be like uh, adjusted save percentage. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes tonight will be the opponent. We're going to talk to Don Waddell at seven o'clock. And yeah, there's. It's as we mentioned yesterday. These first two games coming out of the break, it's actually probably the most engaging and intriguing part of the Canucks schedule. Not only because they play a five on the road, including a Saturday Sunday back to back, and the Sunday is sort of the appetizer for Super Bowl. But eight of their next ten games on the road, and I threw it out there yesterday. This is actually probably a more daunting stretch. Then that seven-game road swing mm-hmm. where, I mean, they blew the doors off the competition and were fantastic, even though they bookended it with losses. Tonight's going to be a good night of hockey. The it Oilers is. are going for their 17th straight win tonight in Vegas, which would match the record of Rick Tockett and some other guys that were on the 92-93 Penguins team that won 17 in a row. It's going to be tough for them because they've just had a break, so maybe some of that momentum has dissipated a little bit, and I'm sure the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, Vegas is the home team, I believe, they're not going to want that to continue happening. Um, And in in Boston, actually, but for Calgary, Kuzmenko will debut for the Flames. And this is interesting. I didn't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. On a line with uh, Huberdo and Sharon Govich. And Sharon Govich, despite Halford not thinking much of this player for some reason, has actually been a really good story. Huberdo has not. And uh, I think Eric Francis wrote an article. Oh, it's just like they're, they're was, making it, Sharon Govich play center. On the line. Right. Well, and he hasn't really ever done it. He did it. He, yeah. he, the best part was when, in explaining it, Ryan Huska was like, well, you know, he's got some experience. At the beginning of the year, he opened up as our fourth line center. I'm like, oh, my God. Now he's centering your top line. Like, And he was yeah. doing okay on the wing. He was scoring goals, mm-hmm. which is, I think, what they envisioned him to be. Well, he was playing with Lindholm. Yeah, because Lindholm was setting him up at his own expense. That's how I like to view it anyway. <laughs> but um, the other part of this was, uh, Huska didn't want to break up the other two lines because they were actually playing relatively well. So yeah. he didn't want to try and elevate. I think it would either have been Backlund or Kadri mm-hmm. to be the center there. So they're like, well, Igor, it's it's your job now yeah. to center. <laughs> I feel like it's like being very generous, Ryan Huska calling them the top line. Yeah, and it's like, if you, it's one thing to center a line in the National Hockey League, mm. but all due respect to Kuzmenko and Huberto, have there been two more underachieving wingers in the NHL yeah, to yeah. start the season? Like that's a both lot. Guy, to both, ask. both guys are like, uh, I love to play on the outside. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, like I think the, we're going to get along really well. Then Sharon Govich, you're doing a lot of work. My favorite zone is the offensive zone. <laughs> that's the other thing too. Yeah, you the know, whole it, thing centered on whether or not they're going to 
be able to play defense. So, like, um, I, on a personal level, like, I hope Kuzmenko does well. I hope too. he, I hope yeah. he turns his career around, and I hope that maybe Huska can come to some sort of mutual. Because I mean, the standards aren't as high in Calgary. Let's be dead mm-hmm. honest. Uh, Tockett had a certain way that he needed him to play, and he wasn't going to fit. Maybe Huska can find something that'll allow him to discover some of that joy in that offensive zip, because that was part of it too. Is it wasn't just the things that Kuzmenko wasn't doing defensively here. Mm-hmm. It seemed as though he was overthinking everything on offense. So we got a lot of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and hopefully we can get to these later. Um, feel free to text in at any time during the show, questions or comments, into the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com for example someone texts in i don't understand why hoglander hasn't got a good run on the peterson on the petterson line um he ha- he has earned it um yeah i mean we talked a bit about that we can talk about talk about it a little more he might get that chance soon that's why all eyes are on mckayev and all eyes are well not all eyes because there's going to be a lot of eyes on Lindholm tonight too in Carolina. It's going to be exciting to see the Canucks back in action with a top player with big expectations on him. Uh, we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski about all things NHL. You know what I want to ask Greg about? What? Um, so Lafreniere scored the game winner for the Rangers last year, last night in overtime to beat the Avs, and he's had a better season. He's yes. not like knocking it out of the park, but he's had a better season. Have you seen the season that Capo Caco has had? Unfortunately, yes. Like he's got like six points. Yeah, it's been really bad. So could could the Rangers be moving him at the deadline? Who are some other teams that Wish is looking at to make some trades ahead of the deadline? Uh, we'll talk to Wish in just a few minutes on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Reserve your spot for the big football party at the Clayton Public House, hosted by Sportsnet 650. Visit theclaytonpub.com for more. Clayton Public House, good food, good people, good times. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Six thirty-two on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today we are in hour one of the program. That music means Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one of this show is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. It is Vancouver's premier metal recycler. They pay the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street. In Vancouver, to the phone lines we go. It's Greg Wyshynski here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Wish? Hello. Hi, everybody. How are you? Good. How was uh, All-Star Weekend? How was Trana? It was good. I mean, I, I mean, it was better than good, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think the, uh, the people that were saying, hey, why not just hold the All-Star Weekend in Toronto every year, got some decent evidence that maybe they should <laughs> like everybody seemed to have a really good time. The players were clearly engaged. Uh, the city obviously went nuts for all of it. 
Um, I, I don't know if you can convince the players that, uh, you know, going to Toronto every year is better than going to Vegas or, you know, West Palm Beach once in a while. But, uh, but it was certainly one of the more successful All-Star weekends that I can remember. Here's a question for you. When are we going to get another All-Star game? We're gonna, <clears throat> so we're going to get one, apparently, in 2026. That's the plan, at least. If you remember, they tried to do this for the Beijing Olympics when really? they thought uh-huh. the players might go. They were going to do a whole thing of, like, having the All-Star game, I think, in Vegas. And then, then you know, the guys just get on a plane and, and fly out to China after that for the Olympics. Hmm. So... Bettman's plan is to hold an all-star game before the Olympics in Italy. And uh, I talked to Marty Walsh from the NHLPA about that. And he said, well, it's a good thought. <laughs> we, don't, <laughs> we, don't, we don't quite know if we're, if we're down for it yet. The players certainly have to sign off on such things. And it might be asking a bit of them to uh, prepare to play for their countries uh, in a tournament the NHL has now endorsed, uh, while also, you know, doing the fastest skater. But we'll see what happens because they clearly see the All-Star game as being really important for television rights holders. And they also see it as a, a nifty way to kind of like get people excited for their players playing over in, uh, in, in Italy in 2026. What level ex- of excitement did you sense from the players about the upcoming uh, Four Nations tournament? Uh, tough to say. I mean, I, I didn't really. I mean, I, it's tough to say because the focus was so much more on the Olympics than it was that tournament. I mean, like if that tournament had been the thing they announced and a lot of us thought it could just be the thing they announced, I think we'd have a better sense of how, how, how much it felt to them. Uh, but you know, it was overshadowed by, Oh, by the way, you're going to finally get a chance to represent your country in the Olympics. I will say though, in talking to some of the players, you know, about it leading up to it, having, you know, written about it and, and broken some stuff about it too. They are excited about, just any international play in particular. That was another thing that I, that came up in my conversation with Marty Walsh in Toronto was I asked him like, what was the biggest issue for you and the players? Like when you went to meet with them in your tour around the league, after getting hired, like what was the one thing they said? And he said flat out a return to international play was at the forefront. And it's one of the reasons why the NHLPA, I think deserves a lot of credit for getting all the principles to the table and helping to make this thing happen not only the four nations tournament, but also the return to the Olympics, because uh, the players certainly put a premium on, on getting back to international play, whether it was the Olympics or the world cup or, or anything. Yeah. I mean, I think at the very least, and I hopefully it's more than this, it's going to serve as a great warm up or a great appetizer, at least for um, Canadian and American fans and Swedish and Finnish fans for those Olympics in 2026. Just to get us back to um, debating uh, who should be included in the lineup, we were we were joking yesterday. Like, remember, <laughs> remember, like the should Chris Kunitz be on the team? Sid can't play with anyone, so you got to bring his teammate. Yeah, or or should Bobby Ryan be on the American team because it'd be good to have guys that can score, you know, things like that. <laughs> right. I mean, the big winner here obviously is Canadian television that can now do two separate sets of national team <laughs> rosters uh, during trade deadline. And, and we were uh, doing them anyway. Yeah. I was going to say though, I, I did a I did a live podcast uh, in Toronto during the weekend, and, and the subject of the Four Nations tournament came up, and we asked the crowd like, "What did you think of it?" And the crowd was very sort of tepid about it and wasn't really into it. I, I said to him, I said, look, like all you people that think this is some sort of fake world cup or <clears throat> like not worth your time or, you know, why stop the season for this thing? The first time all you Canadians put eyes on a Bedard Crosby McDavid line playing for Canada in the four nations cup, 
you're gonna, you're just gonna buy a bunch of Four Nations jerseys and hats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're gonna watch every second of the tournament, and then you're gonna be playing Four Nations fantasy. Like, give me a break. Like, everybody's gonna be into it when push comes to shove because it's a chance to see some of these guys that have not gotten a chance to represent their countries do so, and, and like you said, reignite what could be uh, a, an amazing uh, rivalry for the next you know four or five, six years between the U.S. and Canada. Hey, Wish, I know you talked with uh, Kristen Shilton on, on your podcast. Um, what have you made out of, or what did you make out of the London police apologizing to um, the complainant in the Hockey Canada case? Well, it was confusing. You know, I, I, like Kristen said, the, the thing that they did yesterday in, in sort of a PR way to get around having to really get into the nuts and bolts of, of why there weren't charges bought to begin with was to say that it's one long investigation. And that's a nifty way to insulate yourself from having to kind of like apologize, but then also explain why you're apologizing, right? They're basically saying, well, it'll all come out when this process is done and the process will probably be done in like 2026. So like, you know, they, they're buying themselves some pretty, pretty decent time. And, and Kristen's reporting on that is really good. And if you get a chance to listen to the drop today, she's, she's got some great insight on how things went in London. From, from the other perspective, though, like, like I said yesterday on, on social media, like the, the three-minute sidebar about the way that women are depicted in media was one of the more like yeah. – I mean, I used, to work, I used to work in PR before I became a, a, a hack hockey writer. But, like, I, it's just, it was off script. It was, it was very strange. And – and again, like you open yourself up to really kind of like diverting everybody's attention from the important thing. Like when the chief of police or whoever it was says that, and then the next question is, well, what's really more damaging to, to women when they come, want to come forward with uh, sexual assault accusations? Is it their depiction in media or is it the fact that you guys waited six years or whatever it's been to bring charges and, and he didn't really have an answer for it. So again, it was, it was a very, very odd moment uh, and, and certainly did not, I don't think it was the right opportunity to, to start to superficially address the root causes of all this. And I think it really made it for a very confusing moment for the police. Yeah. Is it fair to conclude that if it was never brought to light, that there had been that settlement by hockey Canada, that there wouldn't have been the investigation one B. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. And then, and then the pop, the public pressure that came along with mm-hmm. it. And, and like Kristen reported on our show, uh, the drop this week, you know, there was also some new evidence that apparently came to light that they're not talking about. And, um, you know, the, it changed the perception of, of what they were able to kind of prove, I think, in some of these cases. Again, one of the more interesting aspects of this is that the initial complaint was that there was eight players involved. Only five players get charged. Those five players, the police said, are the ones that they had evidence to charge. But it makes you wonder exactly what's gone on to you know, with the players that we don't know right yes, now and, yes. you know, what they've turned over to police, what they're mm-hmm. saying to police. It's, you know, it's the kind of questions that I'm sure we'll, we'll all find out in the coming months, but, uh, but it certainly is uh, an, an interesting uh, twist for a lot of people that have been following this case for the last several years. I'll be very curious to see who testifies if that thing goes to trial, which I expect it probably will. Um, Wish, let's turn our attention to the NHL trade deadline, the Canucks, and the Winnipeg Jets have already added some fairly big-name players. Um, Halford and I were briefly talking about the New York Rangers 
yesterday or um, earlier in the show because yesterday Lafreniere scored the OT winner for the Rangers over the Avs, and then we were kind of like, "Have you seen the season that Capo Caco has been having? Because it is n- <laughs> not very good." Um, do you expect him to be moved before the trade deadline, if only to open up some cap space for the Rangers to actually do something there? I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, it's really frustrating because I, I definitely thought this could be a breakout year for Kako based on how he played last year, based on his role on their top line. Like, he's a guy who's really, really good on puck possession. Uh, he creates space for his teammates. He does a lot of good things, but he just cannot, for whatever reason, put points on the board. He cannot finish chances um, and, and just cannot maintain a spot in the lineup. I mean, Jesse Pugliarvi, you know, just resurfaced with Pittsburgh, right? And I think that you can kind of start to maybe draw a comparison between these two players. They're very similar. Like, the analytics community's always liked Pugliarvi. The analytics community, I think, has liked Kako, but in both cases, they've just not manifested into being the kinds of players that their underlying numbers would indicate they're going to be. So, I mean, it's always a possibility that they might move them to open up a roster spot, open up some cap space, what have you. But at the end of the day, like they would be selling incredibly low on, on this guy, considering how his season has gone. We're speaking to a Greg Wyshynski, ESPN NHL insider here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, the NHL is now fully back tonight. All due respect to the massive two-game slate last night. There's a ton of good games tonight, including the big one, the nightcap. I think the game that most of the league will be paying attention to, Edmonton looking to tie an NHL record with 17 consecutive victories going into Vegas to take on the Golden Knights, the same team that bumped them out of the playoffs last year. Now, I know it's up on ESPN right now. You talked to Connor McDavid uh, roughly about a week ago, it looks like. So when the the win streak was still going, not quite at the 16 games where they were on the verge of tying the record, what did McDavid have to say about the streak? I know you asked them a really good question about whether they could have done this under Jay Woodcroft or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of, it kind of, kind of staggered him a little bit when I asked, cause I don't know if he's really kind of considered that. I mean, it's full been full, full speed ahead under, under Chris Knobloch, but you know, the, the thing, the thing about the Oilers and Woodcroft and, and Connor was candid about this was, you know, there were just certain things that weren't going right. You know, the goaltending wasn't there. He, he himself had not been playing well, uh, McDavid, at the start of the season. Um, <clears throat> but there were also some things that were going pretty good underneath the hood for them analytically, and they were playing kind of okay. But the biggest thing for him with regards to Woodcroft as to whether or not this could have happened if he was still the coach is that the Oilers have now become a team that does this streak thing pretty well. And, and they seem to do it every year. They don't want to do it every year because it usually means they're digging themselves out of a hole. Right. But like when Woodcroft was hired, they did this, they did it at the end of last season. Um, I think that Connor knew that they had this in them. Mm-hmm. I still don't. I think the jury's out for him and for a lot of people as to whether or not it could have happened if Woodcroft had stayed it may have just been one of those situations where they needed to kind of change the tone and tenor of, of, of what was spiraling out of control at that point. But there's no question that, you know, McDavid started to play well when he felt healthier, the goaltending solidified, whether that's not block or not, it, it got better. And, uh, and it, it, it could have happened maybe if Crawford stayed. So it's funny if you, if you go back and you look uh, chronologically over this streak, um, it's sort of like the, the Oilers hit 10, and then the records start to fall, right? They set the franchise record, then they set the Canadian club record, and now they've got a chance to set the NHL record. 
And it's one of those very old hockey cliches, I guess, where you don't focus on what you do in the regular season. It's all about the playoffs. But Speck had an interesting piece up on Sportsnet talking about that the guys are cognizant of it now. Like when it's that close and it becomes that tangible, they it is something that they want to achieve. Uh, did McDavid talk about that angle at all? And do you think they'll get it done tonight in Vegas? First of all, I think I broke the Canadian club record this weekend in Toronto uh, just based on <laughs> – Sheer consumption. Well, I put um, that on a platter, didn't I? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so anyways, I, I, we didn't really get into it. I mean, I, I think I, I was sort of expecting, you know, the, the stock answer from him of we're not really thinking about it game by game, yada, 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 which is probably why I didn't ask. But, you know, it, it's meaningful. The, the thing I did ask and the, and the thing that I think is sort of meaningful for these guys is the note is perception. Like they hated the fact that everybody who ever wanted to take a shot at the Oilers could take a shot at the Oilers because they had played themselves into last place. Right, right. And so, you know, while that wasn't the primary motivation, while it wasn't like they were, you know, pinning tweets to the board in the locker room uh, to try to motivate themselves, it was definitely on their minds that, you know, they had sort of embarrassed themselves earlier this season. And, you know, setting an NHL record like this is certainly part of the redemptive arc for this team. Um, but more than anything, it's just like, I think the whole the whole comeback from where they were at the beginning of the season is sort of just proof of concept of like, hey, yeah, you know, like all all the hype that we earned from people that thought we could win this year is is rewarded. I, I was joking at some point that like the only two people on the Oilers bandwagon at one point were me and Zach Hyman, and that's it. <laughs> then everybody else jumped off. Uh, but now everybody's back on, and, and I think this streak has really shown that when when they're on their game, they they are truly one of the better teams in this league, and. I think they probably feel really good about kind of that reversal of fortune. Uh, another very good piece. You and Kristen got the bylines on this one. Uh, the NHL <laughs> superstar roundtable that you guys did at the All-Star game, which is great because you get to ask all these very prominent players about all these things that are going on around the NHL. So you asked them, what do you think of Salt Lake City as an NHL city? What was the general consensus from the players? Not a single person had a problem with Salt Lake City. And many of them were very excited about Salt Lake City. I mean, now some of them we're excited about like another team joining the league, which obviously means more revenue and, and more jobs and more opportunities. So you can understand there. And some of them had an understanding of Salt Lake City. Like Thomas Hurdle had played there, I guess, in a preseason game for the, the, the Sharks. Really loved it there. Frank Petrano had some relatives that played in the ECHL uh, in, in Salt Lake City and really loved it there. So not, not, not a lot of, of, of player. I mean, all the players are very psyched about it. Not, none of them really kind of, expressed anything about the coyotes angle uh, <laughs> like they that was my next question it. right yeah they all very much approached it as like expansion rather than relocation i think only one player even made mention of the fact that they could maybe move a team there so you know that's that's probably one of those deals where they either don't care or they just don't want you know people to have to uproot their whole lives to go someplace else but as a market um everyone is really excited um, I, you also asked them about changing NHL overtime rules. Was that just something that was on top of mind, or was that getting a little, a little buzz at All-Star Weekend? Look, I don't like to pull back the curtain on my reporting okay, process, but fine. what we like to do <laughs> is we like to ask questions that we know hockey fans and our editors would like us to ask insofar as like they are about hockey to counterbalance <laughs> what did you think of Lewis Hamilton leaving for Ferrari? And what is the piece of sports memorabilia you wish you could own? Those were like, good questions. 
They're great questions, but you have to balance it because otherwise people are going to read it and be like, well, this is fluff. Or this is, <laughs> you, had a chance, you had a chance to talk to the great Frank Petrano and you didn't ask about NHL overtime, like yeah, that right. kind of stuff. So, so you, had, you, you need to balance out the salient stuff with the silly stuff. And, and, and the overtime question is great because it very much is in the news. I mean, like, um, you know, the, the, the GMs and board of governors have talked about changing overtime yeah. rules. And so, Get it, it, I encourage people to read that that section actually because there's a lot of really interesting responses there, including a lot of guys that that are in favor of sort of that NBA model of it's a half court game like you can't go back over the red line um, and and there's a lot of people that really maybe want to see three on three played that way. One guy, Clayton Keller, said that they should uh, when there's a penalty in, in overtime you should play three on two. That'd, that'd, be, that'd be amazing. Uh, That'd I'm like, amazing. is it easier to score at three on two? He's like, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> two on one, eventually. Um, yeah. Well, you know, that was my that was always my replacement for the shootout was was uh, was two on one instead of like just shooter and goalie because you know my big thing on the shootout has always been that it has no resemblance to hockey and, right. and being a team sport. Mm-hmm. And so you know you bring back a defenseman playing his position, you bring back passing. Oh, what a concept! Passing to help win a game. Um, I always like that concept much better than the shootout. Um, hey, Wish, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, suggest a trade that makes sense involving a player that gets traded and a team that he gets traded to. I'll give you an example. Uh, Adam Henrique to the Avs because the Avs need probably an upgrade at their second-line center. Yeah, and and the merry-go-round has has been flying off the off its 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 motor right now as far as the the centers that have been traded. Like everybody was sort of fan casting Lindholm to the Avalanche at one point, and then when he was gone, everybody thought maybe it would be Monahan. I like that one. I I don't, I don't have any issue with that. I think part of the problem with this sort of thought exercise is you went you went immediately to the Ducks. Well, that's great because they're one. Of teams that are actually out of it right now <laughs> right, right? So, right. Yeah, so like yeah. it's you know it, it's easy to say oh, it'll be adam henrique but what if it's you know somebody from uh somebody who's like floating like the capitals or something like like you know like nick Dowd or something like it, you know like there's a, there's a ton of teams that are sort of like in that purgatory of, of being near the bubble or, or being out and so the trade the trade board now looks very sparse especially at the center position but it could get a little bit more robust when we get a better idea of who's out. I mean, look, I mean, the guy that I keep mentioning as far as like, you know, we, we think about all these goalies that might be available. Like what if Marc-Andre Fleury just goes to Bill Guerin and says, I want to play for a contender. Like yeah. this might be my last, my last rodeo and I want to go play for a contender and the, and the wilder out of it. Like does Guerin say no, probably not. He probably tries to trade him, and, and all of a sudden you have maybe Fleury as an option for your tandem. And that could change a lot of, a lot of math for the teams that need a goalie. So you know, it's 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 entirely contingent on the on the teams that either think they're in or think they're out right now. Wish this was a lot of fun, bud. Thanks for doing it. We appreciate it. You got it. Uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, coming up on the other side of the break, Don Waddell, the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, is going to join us on the program. The Canes, of course, are hosting the Vancouver Canucks tonight, four o'clock. From Carolina, you can hear it right here on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game, post-game, and the actual game, all right here on your home of the Canucks. So remember, Don Waddell's hockey team came into Vancouver at the beginning of December. They were handed a 4-3 loss. It was on December 9th. 
That dropped them to 14-12-1 on the year. Not a horrible record, but by the standards in Carolina, which have been pretty high for a few years now, wasn't good enough. They had a players-only meeting after that loss to Vancouver. And since then, they've gone 14-3-2. They've shot back up the standings. They're the fourth-place team in the West. They're second in their division. They're rolling a little bit, so we'll ask them about that. You know, we can also ask them about um, Elias Lindholm because he's quite familiar with the player having... Mm -hmm traded him to Calgary now those six years ago feels like less time ago but long time ago so we can ask him what kind of player the Canucks are getting there lots to get into with uh, only one of 32 general managers in the NHL so coming up next uh, Don Waddell general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes that's all coming up in the second hour of the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650.